Welcome to this podcast from Riverside Church Whitstable. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. If you would like to find out more information about us, why not check out our website at riversideuk.org, Facebook page, or follow us on Twitter at Whit Riverside. Good morning. Can you hear me? Great. Okay. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that we can know who you are from your word. And we just pray that your spirit speaks to us this morning. In your name. Amen. Amen. So last week we started our new series, which we've called Going Where God Sends. Going Where God Sends. And Simon spoke at how, about how Jesus didn't use his authority, his exousia, to dominate. He didn't use his authority to dominate and to oppress. But instead, he went low. He didn't go high. I loved what Simon said last week when he said the words, Jesus didn't dominate, he served. He didn't demand, he invited. I thought that was a really powerful thing to say. And the challenge last week was this. The challenge was that we would use the authority that Jesus has given us not to dominate, not to show any uh, act as if we're better than anyone else, but to serve others and to show Jesus's love and grace to those that we meet. And this morning, I want to look a little bit more at this sending call, a little bit more of the end of Matthew 28, what we call the Great Commission. And I'm really excited to be talking on this this morning. One of the reasons that I'm really excited to be talking on this is my dissertation was on these four verses. My dissertation was basically on what this whole series is. It was around the idea of how do we as a church respond to the commissioning call. So we're going to look a little bit of that this morning. And the question that I want to answer this morning and where I want us to explore this morning is how can I be confident in responding to the commission? How can I be confident that mission is for me? How can I be confident as I go? So we're going to base ourselves around the end of Matthew 28 in these four verses this morning. So if you've got your thing that people use to look at the Bible, then open it to those four verses and to the end of Matthew 28, and we'll be around there this morning. The other reason that I love these four verses, the other reason that I love the Great Commission is because, to me, I think the disciples would have felt like they were in a movie. Okay, movies weren't around at this point, but they would have felt like they're in a movie. And I don't know if any of you have ever had a day where you've looked back on it and you felt like you were the main character in your own life. You were the main character in a movie. I want to tell you one of my favourite stories. And it's a story of when I was at sixth form and I had a day where I was Troy Bolton from High School Musical. <laughs> and if you, if you haven't seen High School Musical before, basically the main character called Troy Bolton, who's played by Zac Efron. I'm not saying I'm Zac Efron, by the way. I'm just saying I was playing Troy Bolton. Anyway, the main character is split between is his life about basketball or is his life about music? And he has to make a decision. What one do I pick? And when I was in sixth form, I 
one, um, at the end of my first year of sixth form, I was the captain of the school football team. And I'd just been cast as the lead role in the school musical Sweet Charity. Now, this was all great. I was, I was pretty happy that this was happening. Life was going along until three days before the performance of Sweet Charity, I looked at the rotors and I realised after school on a Wednesday, our football team were up against our rival school, a grudge match, St Peter's versus Twynham. It was a big game. But at the same time was the dress rehearsal for Sweet Charity two days before we launched in the theatre. This, this was a problem for me. And if you know High School Musical... Troy Bolton had a pretty similar problem. He was working out when the two things clashed, what he would do. So I decided, much like Troy Bolton, I decided I was going to try and do both. I was going to, if you know anything about musicals, and in particular Sweet Charity, you'll know that the main guy character, often in musicals, appears in the first scene where he bumps into the girl, nothing, nothing really happens, but you see him on stage. And then you don't see him until the second act. And he pops back up in the second act where he's back in the life of the girl. And then throughout the second act, he is then, the story looks at him and the girl's relationship. Well, this was my role. I was in the first scene of the first act and then the whole of the second act. So I realised I had about an hour in between that first scene and the first scene of the second act. So what I decided to do was I'd go in for that first full in costume, go in for this first scene in the uh, theatre that we were practising in. And I went into the theatre, did the first scene, and then jumped into my car, drove 10 minutes down the road to the rival school, changing as I'm going, and shin pads on, getting all ready, and shouted to the manager, sub me on, sub me on. So he subbed me on, he brought me on, and we were one nil down. It was an absolute nightmare. And I grabbed the captain's armband because I'm arrogant like that. And, and once I grabbed this captain's armband, I was like, OK, something's going to happen now. I've got to do something. If I'm coming all this way, we've got to win this game. So I had about probably half an hour. And genuinely, one of the best moments of my life, it's not even an exaggeration, is about five minutes after coming on the pitch, ball drops me about 30 yards out. Bam! Volley right into the top bins. Come on. 1-1. One, one. And then we go in for half-time, and I'm like, lads, I've got about 10 minutes, OK? I've got 10 minutes. Let's get back out. We're not even doing half-time. Let's just force them to get back out. So we got back out onto the pitch. And this story is going to relate to something in a minute, by the way. <laughs> we, got <back> onto the <laughs> we got back onto the pitch, and we went 2-1 up about 10 minutes after half-time. And I've got to be honest, I probably could have stayed another 10 minutes. But... Because we just made it 2-1 and we were 1-0 down, I thought it would be really dramatic if I then said to the manager, I need to go, I need to go. So about 10 minutes before I needed to go, so I thought, I then ran off, ran back to my car, drove all the way to the theatre, into the theatre, getting changed back into my costume. And genuinely, as I walked into the backstage, I was being shuffled on to the, to the uh, stage just in time to sing the solo of the second act. Scene one. This was my story when I felt like I was the main character in a movie. Now, the, 
This link might be a little bit loose, okay? I do like this story. Maybe I was just trying to... Anyway, but for the disciples, this would have felt like it was a built up to this point. It built up to this point where they felt like they were in a movie. And I don't know what your favourite part of a movie is, but my favourite moment in a movie is that moment after the tension has built, after the main character, maybe evil's been defeated, or the world has been restored, the battle has been won, or the boy finally meets the girl and the girl finally meets the boy. And then suddenly, the grand piano plays. And it's dramatic music. Dramatic music is played whilst the main character has their little speech. Their moment where, over the grand piano, they have that speech that gives you the tingle down your spine. I'm thinking Spider-Man, where he says, with great power comes great responsibility. Who am I? I'm Spider-Man. Or I'm thinking Aslan, as the kids go back to the world, he says, in your world, I have a different name. Or going back to Troy Bolton. Troy Bolton, in High School Musical 3, in his graduation speech, he says, what makes East High East High? We're all in this together. These moments where you finish, you finish the film and what you're thinking about is that last bit, that final speech that stays in your head, that final speech that you think about the rest of the day because you're still having shivers down your spine five hours later. This moment, for me, I think is why Matthew purposely placed the Great Commission right at the end of his gospel. Matthew doesn't end the gospel with the ascension of Jesus, but instead he flows from the built-up tension. Jesus has just risen from the dead. And straight away, what Matthew does is he says, then Jesus sent them to the mountain to wait for him. Anything after, he finishes his gospel with a speech. A speech where he wants, what Matthew is doing is he's wanting you to go away and that to be on your mind. That speech is for him, for Matthew, this great commission is the pinnacle of the gospel. Now, I don't know if you know anything about the author, Matthew himself, but he's known as Matthew the Evangelist. Matthew the Evangelist. And the reason is, is because throughout his gospel, his gospel, he's very, he's very serious about evangelism. In everything that he, uh, he writes, there's a little bit of evangelism within it. And Matthew isn't happy at the idea that we could read his gospel and end up not responding to it. Matthew isn't happy that we could read the gospel, see that Jesus rose again, and then finish without evangelism being on your mind. He isn't happy. This is his personality. This is who he is. What he's passionate about is evangelism. So he ends his gospel with this great commission. Go. Go. So let's pick up from verse 16. Verse 16 that says this. This is verse 16 and 17. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to a mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Matthew begins to paint this picture 
at the start of this commission. He paints the picture of them being on this mountain, this mountain in Galilee, and says there are only 11 disciples there. So there are 11 disciples because Judas, as Acts 1 says, is now after betraying Jesus in his own place. And Joseph, who's going to become the 12th disciple, has not, let, not yet joined the disciples. So there are only 11 disciples. But what's interesting when we read further down is that all 11 that were on this mountain, they knew Jesus really well. They'd done life with Jesus. They'd spent time with Jesus when he was doing his miracles. They'd spent time with Jesus when he was teaching. And they'd even, all 11 of them, they'd all all encountered Jesus since he had risen from the dead. They all had spent time with Jesus since his resurrection. And now this morning, I'm going to do a bit of an old school uh, sermon. And by that, I mean, there's going to be three points to this sermon. And I want to give us three things that in this passage that for me gives us confidence as we respond to the Great Commission. And the first one is found here. The first one is this. Jesus doesn't send the perfect. Jesus doesn't send the perfect. I don't know about you, but when I read the Gospels, it strikes me that Jesus' disciples, to put it very kindly, were extremely slow. They were very slow in understanding what Jesus was saying. They were very slow in deciding to follow him in everything and to follow his teachings. And they were very slow to believe Jesus. It's not as if Jesus had picked a group of people where he said, who are the most loyal people? Who are the most intelligent people? Who are the most trustworthy people? In fact, one of the disciples that Jesus chose was Judas, who would betray him. And he didn't pick this group that has the best faith. He didn't pick the most intelligent. He didn't pick the most loyal But when I read the Gospels, it strikes me that they were complete opposite to that. And in verse 17, it says that when they saw Jesus, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And in one sense, this shouldn't shouldn't shock us. It shouldn't shock us that that they doubted Jesus because they did it throughout the Gospels. Continuously, Jesus is having to ask them, why did you doubt me? Continuously, Jesus is saying, why didn't you know what I was doing? Why didn't you believe me? Why didn't you follow my teaching? Why did you doubt? In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, in all three of those uh, synoptic gospels, three times Jesus told them that he would die, and three days later, he would rise again. Yet for some reason, there seemed to be no preparation for this from the disciples. In fact, there was no expectation that Jesus would come back. They were so shocked, even to the point where Thomas said, do you know what? I'm not going to believe you unless I can touch your side, unless I can feel your scars. There was no expectation that Jesus would do what Jesus said he would do. The disciples continuously doubted Jesus. But in this case, the reason for them doubting Jesus is a bit unknown because they'd already seen Jesus since he rose again. They'd spent time with Jesus since he rose again. 
and they'd even been told by Jesus, go to this mountain and I will come to you afterwards. They'd literally been told to go to this place and told that I will go and join you. Yet when he came, they doubted. How little must your faith be to literally have just seen Jesus, Jesus sent you down the road and then said, I will come and join you. And then once Jesus was there, say, no, I don't believe it's you, Jesus. Often, we can feel like we aren't qualified for mission. Often, we could feel like, no, I don't really have a good enough faith for mission. No, I doubt God too often for mission. No, I'm not really, I don't follow the rules well enough. I don't really do, I find it quite hard to tell people. I'm not really good enough to tell other people. We think our faith isn't good enough to let others know about Jesus Christ. But when Jesus sent out the first missionaries, this first call to mission, the commission to go and make disciples, Jesus called out a bunch of idiots. He did. Jesus called out a bunch of idiots. He said, go to these guys that doubted him when he did anything. He said, go to the guys that had no faith. He said, go to the guys that didn't understand any of Jesus's teachings. Jesus didn't wait until these guys were perfect. He didn't even wait until these guys were better. He didn't wait until these guys' faith was slightly better. What Jesus did is he stood him to be the first people to tell everyone else about him. He sent out people that constantly had no faith to share their faith with others. The commissioning call to make disciples of all nations is not just for those with great faith. It's for all followers of Jesus. However good your faith is, however much you doubt, the commissioning call is for you. So the first thing that gives us confidence in mission is that Jesus doesn't expect perfection. Let's pick up from verse 18, the rest of this commission. It says this. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The Great Commission has to be read in the context of the preceding story. Jesus had just been resurrected just before this in the same chapter of uh, of Matthew's gospel Jesus had just been resurrected which means he's been installed by God as the ruler of the nations he's been installed by God as having all authority and Jesus tells this to the disciples as he sends them out he says as Simon said last week he says all authority I have so go Go. He reminds them of the person who is sending them out. He says, the person that you, I'm, who is about to commission you to go. And as Simon looked at last week, Jesus, when he says all authority, the word exousia that we looked at last week, actually a better English translation of this word is executive power. 
Jesus says, I have executive power over heaven and over earth. And what he's saying here to the disciples is as you go, you have absolutely nothing to fear because the one that is sending you out has executive power over every single place you're going to go. The one who is sending you out is in complete control of earth, but also of heaven. No spiritual power can get in your way as I send you out, he says, because I have executive power over it all. Nothing on earth and no spiritual power has anywhere near as much authority and power as Jesus. And as he's saying this to the disciples, it lands the exact same for us here today. As we respond to the call of Jesus to go, we can be confident that the one who's placed us in our own mission field, in our own workplaces, in our streets, in our families, we can be confident that the one that sent us there, the one that's placed us there, has executive power over it all. He has all authority over all the places that we can go. Jesus hasn't lost any power since he said this to the disciples. Jesus hasn't lost his authority since he said this to the disciples. It lands the same for us this morning. As he sends us out, he has all authority. So why does this give us confidence in our own mission, in our mission field? Well, it's summed up right at the end where it says this. Surely I am with you always to the very ends of the age. The second thing that gives us confidence as we get sent out, the second thing that gives us confidence as we go, is that Jesus doesn't call us to do work for him. Jesus invites us to work with him. Jesus doesn't say, I'm sending you guys out. You guys do the work for me and bring people to me. He says, let's go together. Take my hand. Let's go. Let's spread the news. I will be with you. The one who has all authority. The one who has examined to this commissioning call. We go with Jesus, the one who has all authority, the one who has executive power. So the first thing that gives us confidence as we go is that Jesus doesn't expect perfection. The second thing that gives us confidence as we go is that Jesus goes with us. He doesn't send us out to do work for him. He invites us to work with him. And finally, the third thing that gives us this confidence, the third thing thing that gives us confidence as we are sent out, is that we are God's best plan. We in this room this morning, all followers of Jesus, we are God's best idea. We're his plan to spread the word. We're his plan to spread the news of who Jesus is. The sending of the disciples was a catalyst for people spreading the gospel. The sending of the disciples is where the spreading of who Jesus was started. 
sometime after this great commission, at some point after this commission, the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit and then they went out taking Jesus wherever they went. They were filled with the Holy Spirit so that Jesus would go with them and work with them, not send them out to work for them. And the majority of the New Testament, and in particular Acts, is the documentation of this response that the disciples gave to this sending command that Jesus gives. We read loads about how these guys discipled others, who discipled others, who discipled others. That was God's plan, that he would use people to spread the good news. The way that God chose to rely, uh, chose to spread the word was to rely on a response. God relied on the disciples to respond to this commission, that they would go out and make disciples of all nations. In Acts 1 verse 8, it says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria. He says this morning, he says, you guys, us guys, we're the witnesses to Whitstable, to Herne Bay, to Canterbury, to Faversham, to the rest of the UK, to the rest of the world. We are God's plan. We are his witnesses. We are those that he is sending out to go with him. We are the ones that he wants to use to let him be known. And I wonder what the world would look like today if the disciples heard the Great Commission and they thought, actually, that makes me feel a bit uncomfortable. Actually, I don't really want to push past that. Actually, I'm, I'm quite, I'm not sure my faith is good enough. I doubt quite a lot. Jesus came to me on the mountain and I even doubted him then. When Jesus rose again, he told me three times he was going to do it, but I still couldn't believe it. What would it be like if that was their response? If they decided, look, this is just a step too far for me. I'm happy to believe it, but I'm not happy to tell anyone else about it. Would we be here this morning, sat in church, would we be here this morning if they stayed content with the group that they had? Would we be here this morning if they said, actually, we've got else to come in and spoil this group because it's quite comfortable, it's quite easy, it's quite nice, I enjoy hanging out with them. Would we be here this morning if the disciples said that? If they said, actually, I don't want anyone else to join. I don't want anyone else to be a part of this. This is a slightly more personal question. But would we be here today if the disciples of Jesus the first disciples of Jesus had the same attitude towards mission as you have, as I have. Because I know that if the disciples, the first disciples, if they had the attitude towards mission as I have, I don't think I'd be standing here today. I don't think we would be here today because I feel far too uncomfortable. I don't take it seriously enough. 
I'm not. I think, actually, that's not really for me. If the disciples had that kind of attitude, I don't think we'd be here this morning. It's only by God's grace that we're able to share the good news. It's only by his spirit that he puts in us that we're able to go with him, that he comes with us. And it's only through his grace that we're able to be God's best plan. Because when God puts his spirit in you, he joins with you. He gets you passionate about it. He moves you along. He takes you on a journey that you will become more like him. And part of that journey is that we would let it known who he is. It's only by God's grace that we're able to do that. So what does it look like for us to be missionaries? What does it look like for us to respond to this commission, to respond to saying go? What does the sending call look like for us here? Mission is context-driven. The mission in Acts is definitely not our goal. What they did in Acts is not our goal. They were trying to get rid of certain stereotypes. They were trying to make it make the Jews understand the importance that the Gentiles would know Jesus as well. They were aiming for different things. They were starting a church. They were, doing, um, they, they were letting people know who were already religious about this Jesus who had come. It's different in every single context. Mission looks differently in our own context. And each of us have our own individual call to mission. We each have a different call to mission that God has given to us. You have, uh, you have a mission that God has placed before you. We all do. We all have a different mission. Whether it's that one person at work that needs someone to show them Jesus, needs someone to actually listen to them, needs someone to sit with them, to show them grace, to show them interest, to show them love, to show them Jesus... Or maybe there's a neighbour or a family member or a friend that God's just calling you this morning just to give a text to and say, hey, I'd love to have a coffee with you. I'd love to chat to you about my faith. Each of us, it's different. What God's call on your life for mission, it's different from the person next to you, from the person across the room. And for some of us, it will be quite an easy, natural in. For some of us, mission may come naturally. The response to this commission may be fairly, fairly easy. It may be that someone else comes to you. It may be that people already know about your faith and they've asked you a question. Or there's something going on in someone's life that you can give a little bit, put a little bit of Jesus into. But for some of us, it's a lot harder. For some of us, it takes a lot of effort and prayer just to open up any kind of conversation. For some of us, it will be a lot harder to start a conversation. But God's given us different gifts and placed a different mission in front of us that we would respond to this commission in our own missional context. So just before we finish, and as Mark comes up to play over us, I would love it if we could just spend a couple of minutes reflecting, listening to God whilst the music's playing, and ask God, 
what is the mission that you've put in front of me? What have you given me? What do you want me to do? What is my step that you want me to make? What does it mean for me to go, for me to be sent out? I want you to just spend a couple of minutes just quietly reflecting on what it is that Jesus has placed before you. And if you aren't quite at that stage of your journey yet where you've made a commitment to follow Jesus, where you've made a commitment to follow Jesus to the point where you're ready to tell other people, where, where you, um, you feel like this is, this is something that, that you've already committed to, I want to give you a slightly different thing to reflect on in the next couple of minutes. In Acts 17, it says this, From one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For you guys that are on this stage in your journey, what I want you to reflect on this morning is why is it that God has placed you where you are? Why is it that God has put you in your particular context, put certain people around you, placed you here at church this morning? And how can you most make, how can you make the most of what God is doing in that context and where God has placed you? So let's just spend a couple of minutes in quiet reflecting on what it is that God has for us, where he's placed us, as he goes with us, what is it that he wants us to do this morning? Thanks for listening. If you would like to contact us about this talk, to hear more or find out about Riverside Church Whitstable, then visit our website at riversideuk.org. Also, you can contact us through our Facebook page or tweet us at Whit Riverside.